Father, we thank you for your word that you provide for us. You give us direction. You give us meaning. You give us hope and light. You enable us to have faith and be receptors, receivers of your grace. And Father, we would not have known any of this had you not revealed it to us. We thank you for it. We ask that you would teach us and guide us by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 35, we've dealt with the Sabbath, the sacrifice that is giving service, and then the servants, and we are on the skilled. And I talked to you last week about who the skilled were. They were Bezalel and Oholiab, the son of Hishamach. And these two individuals, they had particular skill. They had the hand-eye coordination that they could do just about anything. They were able to work in materials such as clothing, or not clothing, but clothing materials or upholstery materials. They were able to work in stone and wood and crafting of gold and silver and bronze, all of these things. They had this gift. Now, it is a gift that God gives to particular individuals. It's called the gift of craftsmanship. And the gift of craftsmanship was exemplified by these two individuals, but they were also able to teach these skills to others. Sometimes people with particular skills, they're not so socially inept, or they are socially inept, and they are not so socially comfortable in communicating their skills or what they think or giving instruction to others on how to live life and how to do a particular job. But these two individuals were. And not only were these two blessed with this particular gift, but there were others that were called forth to make sure that this tabernacle in the wilderness was being able to be constructed. And I told you last week that when we become believers, and I believe God is working in us even before we become believers, he sets things up. If you recall in the book of Acts, the book of Acts says that we are born for a particular time and a particular place in a particular city, and you meet particular people. Now, it doesn't say it exactly like that, but that's what the passage means. And the reason that we're born for those particular times and places is so that we might find out what salvation is. It is the most opportune time in which we are born that we can be saved over any other time in all of history. So God has to determine Like in my case, he says, you will be born in 19... And then you will... And then you will meet particular people and you'll have this family so that I could be saved. Just like you. We are no different in this respect. I was not born a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago because it would not have been the opportune time for me to hear the gospel. Now, God gives us this, quote, gift... Of salvation and it is a gift and it has to be received if you don't receive the gift you never apprehend it I was listening to the radio the other day and on the radio they said you know there are all these accounts in the state of California and federally that have billions of dollars in them for people who have not claimed the money It is something that has been left over in a bank account or for some reason the federal government or the state government has money and that money is available to an individual if they'll just apply for it. And many people just don't apply for it and so it just goes back to the government. God's gifts are the same. 
If we want God's grace, now God's grace is his unmerited favor, which means just because he wants to, just because of his nature, he comes to us and he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you something. Now, God gives his grace to everybody, not just believers. For instance, his unmerited favor comes when it rains. He causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous, on the just and on the just. For instance, his grace has been evident in the state of California this year, has it not? We have all these reservoirs that are filling up, and we see God has set these things in motion to give us the water, to bless us, that we might grow crops, that we might prosper. And so that is God's grace. Now, some people might say, no, it's just the natural processes that are taking place. If you believe in evolution, well, that's the natural way you're going to go. But if you believe in creation, you can see God's handiwork in it. And by the way, I I could go down that road in creation, making a non-biblical case for why creation exists and the intelligence that is in all of creation. There are laws that govern our universe, and we didn't create the laws, but we discovered them. And that is God's gift to us. The universe is God's gift. He says, look at what I have made. He displays his power and his sovereignty by what has been made. And the book of Romans says this, that God's power, his eternal authority have been displayed clearly through what has been made. And if you just examine it, you can see it. We can all see it out there. So God gives us his gifts. Now with these gifts, I thought we should focus just a little bit on what gifts are. Now there are three things that we can focus on. The first thing is the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, number two, and the growing the gifts from the Holy Spirit. Each one of us has a gift, and I'm going to get to that secondly, but there is this first gift. When we as believers, before we became believers, and how we do that, we all know this, or most of us know this, we become believers and we obtain eternal life by confessing with our mouths Jesus is Lord and believing in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. For it is with our hearts that we believe and are justified and with our mouths that we confess and are saved. And so we have to say something like, Lord Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. Save me. Bring me into your kingdom. I thank you for your gift of salvation. Be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Something along that line. Or you can just say, God, I don't know all of that. Just please save me. And he'll save you. If you sincerely believe it, he'll save you. When we are born into this life, we are all under judgment. We are all under damnation. We have to decide with forethought that we are going to live forever. Now, this is a gift, this gift of salvation, and God rescues us. Now, Scripture clearly teaches that if we are not rescued, we still exist. We never cease to exist. We are created in the image of God according to God's word, and we will exist forever. All of our bodies, no matter if we are saved or unsaved, will be resurrected. And then those who are saved will enter into heaven. Those who are unsaved will enter into hell. And both instances, both cases... It will remain forever. It never changes according to God's word. Now, people choose to believe that 
And people choose not to believe that. If you examine the evidence, I think the evidence is overwhelming. But this is God's gift to us. Now, in order for us to understand this, to fully comprehend, to fully apprehend it, he provides for us his Holy Spirit. Now, I'm getting into some basic doctrine here. But there are three, and we just sang about it, the creed. There are three in heaven, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are one in essence and three in personality. When Jesus was here, he said he needs to leave so that the Holy Spirit might come. And he also prayed to the Father. At his baptism, Jesus got baptized. John the uh, Baptist was told, when you see the Holy Spirit descending upon the one whom I shall choose, and this happened during Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit came down upon him, that is the one who is the chosen Messiah or the Christ. And the Father spoke at that time from heaven and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And the people heard that, and they go, who said that? Where did that come from? And so there are three there, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, just like in the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, there was God, there was the Word of God, and the Spirit of God moved across the face of the waters. And so God decided that when Jesus was here, God the Father, he is the originator, but they're all three in one. They all believe the same thing. They're all of the same essence. When Jesus left, he said, I need to leave so the Holy Spirit comes. And the Holy Spirit indwells those who believe. The Holy Spirit does not indwell those who do not believe. This is a gift for us. In the book of John, chapter, the Gospel of John, chapter 20, it says that after the resurrection, after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he met up with his disciples and he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. In the King James, it's receive ye the Holy Spirit. And so he actually, he blew on them, but they received the Holy Spirit. Now we can't see the Holy Spirit, but we know that he is there. Now, how do you know that he is there? For instance, before you believe, the word that is used in the scripture about the Holy Spirit is where we get, or it's the word, Greek word, paraclete where he comes alongside and he convicts us of sin. And when we are doing something wrong and we're not yet a believer, the Holy Spirit comes along and says, I wouldn't do that. And you get to decide, I think you're right. Now, it's not like this conversation takes place, right? You don't go, what? You don't turn and say something like that, but you just kind of know, no, I shouldn't be doing this. You get this feeling. It's the paraclete. It's the Holy Spirit who comes alongside and he ministers to us and he guides us in a way that is right. He also has written his, his law on our hearts to where we have this sense of right and wrong and it is transcendent. It's not something that we come up with. It's not something that we make up. God gave us morality. He told us what is right and wrong, and he gave it to us in our hearts. It's those people who suppress it that go astray. It's not that it's not there. It's there. But they just decide, I'm not going to listen to it. And so the Holy Spirit comes along. He's a gift to us as the paraclete comes alongside, and he instructs us. When we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he says, okay, now I'm going to place my Holy Spirit inside of you. And so the God who created the universe, the Spirit that moved across the face of the waters, comes and indwells inside of us. That power that created everything is inside of us. Now, some people get a little weird on that. Well, what does that mean I can do? Nothing outside of the will of God. If he wants you to do something, he'll do it. Remember, there were miracles that took place in the New Testament. 
where somebody would be translated, actually teleported from one place to the next. And there was no walking. There was no traveling. They were just moved from one place to the next. And there are stories throughout history, if you do any research on this, like Vanya, the book that I often recommend to people, where the trooper was translated from this earth into heaven, and he wasn't sure if he was actually there or not. And Paul the Apostle, it talks about him going to the third heaven where God dwells. And and so there are these miracles, but the Holy Spirit is the one who lives in us, guides us, and teaches us. He gives us understanding. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. But then after we are saved, uh, when we get saved, we get the Holy Spirit, but there is something else on top of that. It's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it has to be asked for, just like salvation. Now, there are people that say the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not something that actually takes place as some charismatic churches would teach. Now, we are, we are charismatic, but we're not charismaniacs, right? We believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, like prophecy and tongues, interpretation, all those things are for today. Healing, uh, the gift of wisdom, the gift of knowledge, all of those things are here, and I'm going to explain those in a minute. But this idea that it just goes overboard, that that's the focus, the gift should never be the focus. It is always... Jesus Christ, that is the focus according to the will of God the Father and the Holy Spirit points us to him. So the Holy Spirit comes along in the book of Acts. We are told that the disciples were told to wait in Jerusalem for the blessing, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when this started taking place, the disciples didn't quite understand that it was also for the Gentiles. It says, In Acts chapter 10, verse 45, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. And so there was some kind of manifestation. And in these particular cases, it would have been tongues or prophecy, something like that. And if you don't know what that is, that's that's a whole other Bible study. But this idea that there are gifts that God gives to us, the primary gift is his Holy Spirit. He gives us his Holy Spirit to live in us. But then afterwards, if we ask, and remember, the disciples in John chapter 20, they received the Holy Spirit when Jesus just breathed on them. John chapter 20, verse 23, excuse me, verse 21, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And so this imbuing this giving this indwelling of the holy spirit was provided for the believers afterwards in the book of acts remember the holy spirit came upon the believers and they had cloven tongues over the head and they spoke in tongues now you know when i read that the first time i go what in the world is this it's just it's weird this stuff is weird but you know things about god i'm not going to understand completely but this is how it took place now i have more understanding at this point but this is how it took place it was an empowering to be witnesses now that word for witnesses in the book of acts is marturo marturo is where we get the word martyr it means you are going to be empowered to be a martyr to yourself and be a witness for christ if you want to be a martyr for Christ, where you crucify the flesh, you can't do it without the power of the Spirit. The flesh is very strong, extremely strong. For instance, go without food. What is your body going to tell you? 
eat. It's going to demand that you eat. And if you don't eat, what is your body going to do? It's going to cause you pain, right? And you won't be able to sleep. At some particular point, you're going to go, I've got to eat. Or what about water? Your body drives you to go, I got to get some water. I don't have water. Give me water, right? And your body just says you must. Or what about sleep? Ever try to stay up for a week? You'd be a zombie. You know, if you did that, your body says, no, you're shutting down. Some athletes, I've done this once in my life. They, they, um, not that I'm an athlete, but I did this once in my life where I was doing a physical activity, riding bikes, and we were going up to Green Valley Falls, and you hit the wall. And when you hit the wall, what happens is your body, remember um, the Ghostbusters when it first came out? And they turned on their backpacks and went, like that, right? Remember that sound they had? Well, it's almost like your body does the same thing when you hit the wall. It's like some little guy inside of you is grabbing all the main switches and pulling them down going, and you have to immediately go to sleep. Your body just says, you are done. You cannot continue. And so your body takes over. The flesh is very strong. And with other desires, the desire to sin, it's very strong. But the power of the Holy Spirit is stronger. Now, does that mean we're going to be 100% successful all the time in warding off sin or temptation? No, it doesn't. And that's where God's grace comes in. That's another gift of God, his grace. So the Holy Spirit first indwells us as believers. It is a gift. He is the gift of God. And also he empowers us to be martyrs. It is a gift in, to be a martyr to yourself, to die to yourself in order to serve God. Now, the Holy Spirit also seals the believer. He also baptizes the believer, just as I said. The Holy Spirit indwells the believer. The Holy Spirit teaches the believer. It's almost like you have a stronger conscience. Now, you can sear that conscience and not listen to the Holy Spirit by continuing to be involved in sin. Now, I want to make sure you understand the Holy Spirit is not the force, right? The Holy Spirit is a person. He can be grieved. The Holy Spirit makes judgments. In the book of Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit and they were judged at that particular point and they fell down dead, both of them. And so the Holy Spirit is a member of the Godhead, third person of the Trinity. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity and God the Father is the first. So Acts chapter one, verse eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses or martyrs in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so God calls all believers, not just the apostles here and the disciples at this time, but he calls all of us to be witnesses. And we say, God, will you please give me this baptism of the Holy Spirit so I can be a witness? And you just have to ask for it. Some churches, the charismatic churches, they just go wild with this. I've explained uh, one uh, individual. We used to play worship together back at the church I came from, Calvary Chapel La Mesa. And they said he went to a really charismatic church where they tied him up in a chair. And they prayed over him in tongues until he received the Holy Spirit, which would be evidenced by speaking in tongues. But they had to tie him up first. That is just nuts. That's just craziness. I don't know where people get that kind of stuff from. But they do this. Or or they'll say it's like the motorboat. You know, they want you to speak in tongues. 
You know how uh, an engine starts like a Honda engine? You pull it, run, no, 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 no. They say start doing that, run, no, 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 no. And you can start speaking in tongues if you just do it enough. It's, it's, it's just nuts. It's crazy. If God wants to give you that gift, you're not going to have to work up to it, so to speak. It's, it, he's just going to give it to you. Now, going back to the gift of craftsmanship, I believe that Aholiab and Bezalel, these individuals, lived their life in such a way where they were constantly working with their hands and God intended to give them the empowering of the Holy Spirit in order to do these things for God himself. And so he gave them particular skill. If you've ever gone through these ancient museums, like we've gone through some, Patty and I, over in Israel, and you see these articles of gold that they have made, they they had gold woven like fabric. And I looked at that and I go, how did they, I wouldn't even know how to do that, but they would spin a thread of gold and then they wove the gold and it would be like chain mail, only it was real fine like fabric and it was wavy and you could move it. And, and I'm looking at that and the jewelry that they would make. And these guys were artisans back there. They were skilled in what they could do. And so the Holy Spirit, who is the gift of God, gives us each at least one gift, and I believe he gives us several gifts to complement one another. Now, take your Bibles. I know you're in Exodus chapter 35. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. I want you to see that God has provided like these offices for the church. God is building his church, but he has particular people that he sets up in particular offices to make sure that this church has structure. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it says, It was he who gave some to be apostles. That's number one. Some to be prophets. Number two, some to be evangelists. And some to be pastors and teachers. And so these are offices that are for the church. I do not believe the office of an apostle is for today. Because the signs that follow an apostle are signs, wonders, and miracles. If somebody comes up and says they are an apostle, and I know that there are people that say they are apostles, ask them what miracles they've done lately. And if they say, well, people got saved, no, that's not a miracle. I like, call fire down from heaven. Like, you know, raise somebody from the dead. Like, restore a limb. Something that is physically impossible to happen without supernatural intervention. That's what the apostles did. Apostle Paul Raising people from the dead. Remember, his long message went all night. Little boy in a window fell out, broke his neck, died, fell down. I think he broke his neck. It doesn't say that specifically. But he died when he fell down. The apostle Paul comes over and prays for him, raises from the dead. You know, and they all rejoice. So there are these miracles that follow an apostle. A prophet, there are going to be prophets in the end times. In eschatology, speaking with eschatology, what's going to happen in the future. God has told us already what is going to be laid out. How there's going to be tribulation, a thousand year reign. How there's going to be uh, disasters that come upon the earth. But prophets, there are two specifically in the New Testament in the future from this point. And so the office of the prophet, it doesn't say that it has begun, taken a break, and start it up again. So can there be prophets? I think there can be prophets. Test them. If a prophet is ever wrong, according to the book of Deuteronomy, you're to stone them, right? If they're ever wrong, even once. Now, we're not going to stone them. It doesn't mean give them some pot or something like that either. It just, it just simply means you are not to trust them. If a prophet was ever wrong, you are not to trust them. So if there are prophets today, if they're ever wrong in what they prophesy, 
You're not to trust them. They're not a prophet of God. Then there are those who are evangelists. Uh, my pastor years back was Mike McIntosh. He was an evangelist. I mean, he would, every single message was an evangelistic call. Greg Laurie is an evangelist. We know that Billy Graham is an evangelist. Uh, all these uh, pastors from back in history, they're all evangelists. That's what they get driven by when they use their gifts. And then there's pastors and teachers. Uh, I'm a pastor teacher. It's a gift from God. There are other, how many churches are in the United States and around the world? Thousands upon thousands. It is a gift to have a pastor or a teacher. Sometimes it's a curse for some people to have a pastor or a teacher, but it is a gift of God for the church, for its building and the structure of it. And I'm talking metaphorically. I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about simply the people inside the church because we are the stones. Now it says in verse 12 of that same chapter, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure and the fullness of Christ. Now turn over to the book of Romans. In Romans, it has some other gifts that are listed. It's not just these offices that are listed in the book of Ephesians, but these are individual gifts. In Romans chapter 12, verse 4, it says, Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So he takes the image of a body, that each portion of the body has a particular function. And in our modern-day medical advances, we are overcoming some of the handicaps of not having a particular functioning part of the body, like the hearing. Uh, They can now go directly into the brain with a, a cochlear implant, and people can hear when the actual ear is no longer working, and they can stick that wire into the portion of the brain, they can stick a hearing aid on the outside, and the person can actually hear. And that is a modern medical marvel. There is now the exoskeleton for those people who are paraplegic that they can actually get in it, stand up, and walk. Uh, I've seen videos on this. It's just incredible where they they are now no longer in the future going to be wheelchair-bound. It will be something that we'll look at as just like, yeah, that well, we used to have wheelchairs, but now we have these exoskeletons that people can walk around and they can use. And so we are making tremendous advances. But God says each member of the body has its particular function. That's what's being spelled out here in the book of Romans. In verse 6 it says, We have different gifts according to the grace given us. Remember, grace is a gift. And so God looks at us and he says, This is going to be your gift. This is the one that is just for you. In the case of Aholiab and Bezalel, these gifts that were listed in chapter 35, it's a gift of craftsmanship. They could work with their hands. It's actually a spiritual gift. Now, there are those who are gifted outside of the church, but those who God wants to use, he imbues them with the power of the Spirit to develop that gift for, her, for his purposes. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, this is a gift of giving. Let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Now, this is not an exhaustive uh, list of gifts right here. And each one of us have at least one of these gifts. 
Now, this idea is also communicated over in the book of 1 Corinthians about this body being fit together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, go ahead and turn over there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. It says, now the, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good, which means gifts are given to you to benefit everybody right it's not just to benefit yourself this is one of the problems with the gift of tongues it's been so misused it's weirded everybody out and a lot of times people use the gift of tongues and they state that it makes me feel better i feel like i'm closer to god well the gifts aren't about us the gifts are for others it says, to the one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. And this wisdom is, and we're always praying for wisdom. The book of James says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him pray to God, and he will give it to you without, or woman, give it to you without finding fault. If you ask God for wisdom, he goes, you have it, and you have it in abundance. And you have to believe that you received it. If you don't believe, well, God's not going to do it for me because I'm a bad person. If you do that... God says, then don't expect to receive anything. You're double-minded in all your ways. If you ask for it, you get it. If you want wisdom from God, he will give it to you. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same spirit. And this message of knowledge is interpreted a couple of different ways. One of them is that you have the ability to accumulate knowledge, that you can store it. Your memory banks are filled up and you filled up, but they never actually fill up. You can just keep on packing it in there and you have total recall. You can recall whatever. Yeah, back in 1962 on May 14th at 7 o'clock in the morning, I was, and you can list it off what it was, right? But then there's also this gift of knowledge, the way it's interpreted, that God will tell somebody something either about a situation or about an individual that nobody else would know. How would you like to have that gift? I know you. You know something about that person that they think nobody else knows, but God has revealed it to the individual. And, of course, a prophet oftentimes would have this gift of knowledge. God would speak to them by means of the same spirit. To another, verse 9, faith by the same spirit. This is where somebody not only believes, everybody is given a measure of faith to believe. But this person comes along in the face of disaster or something, the person goes, I have Total faith. I believe God is going to bless this in a couple of weeks. It's going to turn around and you're going to look at this and say, ha, what was I so worried about? You know, God is, that's what you're going to do because I believe God has this for you. And they're just a person of faith. They're positive. They just go, this is fantastic. It's a chance for God to work and you're going to be so blessed and you're going to be encouraged. And usually the gift of faith goes with the gift of encouragement because the person with the gift of encouragement goes, don't worry, brother. It's going to be just fine. It's going to be great. That's a smack them on the back and say, it's going to be good. Give them a hug and send them on their way. And so these things act together. And God has a person with the gift of faith and he also has a person with the gift of encouragement. Now going on, another has the gift of healing by that one spirit. Now this is one that is said not to exist today by those who would be called cessationists. Sensationists believe that the gifts, especially the, what are called the sign gifts, are not for today. One of my favorite teachers uh, believes this. My, one of my favorite teachers is John MacArthur. On some of the subjects that he goes through, he is just fantastic. On the gifts, no, not so much. Uh, he, he doesn't believe any of these gifts are for today. All you have to do is talk to some missionaries in the mission and field and ask them, 
Has anybody been raised from the dead? Uh, has anybody received healing? Mike McIntosh, again, the evangelist, he went uh, one place in, down in Mexico, I think, and he prayed for a girl who was deaf. And he said, God told me to stick my fingers in her ears and pray for her. And so he did. And the girl could hear afterwards. And he came back and he told it. We heard the whole testimony of that. And we just go, wow. So it's still for today. Now, God can give that to somebody. But, you know, if you had that gift, it would be a great danger. Because what if you went to Children's, Rady's Children's Hospital and cleared the floor? What would happen to you? You would be lifted up like a Messiah, healing all these children, and it would be a test. And you may not be able to handle that kind of test, which would just be over and beyond. So maybe God just dishes this one out when he feels it is necessary. By the way, I've been prayed for before when I was sick. I had the flu, and somebody came and anointed me with oil and prayed for me, and the flu instantly left. I mean, it was right there. I had the fever. I had the shakes. I had the chills. I had everything, and it just went away. So I know that this gift exists. I have experienced it. Another miraculous powers where you could raise somebody from the dead. That's not just healing. I mean, that's like parting the Red Sea type of stuff. Another prophecy. Prophecy is a gift where you know what God wants to communicate, and you tell somebody a particular word that comes from God. Another distinguishing between spirits. This is an individual that would be in the church that if somebody walks in now in in the church, we know according to the book of Matthew, when it comes to the kingdom parables, that the kingdom parables, one of them is like um, the church. It's like this mustard seed that plants in the garden and it comes up to be the greatest of all the shrubs in the garden. And then birds come and land in its branches. Well, those birds are the evil ones, which is representative of people coming into the church and resting in its branches. So people can come through the doors that are actually messengers of the enemy, so to speak. And they can wreak havoc inside the church, right? Uh, there can be an adulterous man or adulterous woman that comes in the church looking for a victim. And somebody with the gift of discernment, the discerning of spirits, will know. They'll just say, something is not right with that person. I can't pinpoint it unless they have the gift of knowledge. But they have been given to the church to protect the church. And so if somebody comes in who means the church wrong, well, that person with the gift of discernment, they're very handy to have inside the church. And they'll come and let me know, watch out for that person. Just, oh, it's not good. I'm not sure what it is exactly, but just be careful. And almost every single time that that has happened with those who have the gift, it has turned out to be the case that the person, the individual who comes is to be avoided. Then there is the speaking in different kinds of tongues. Now, this can be an unknown tongue that is a dialect on the planet Earth. Remember when the gift of tongues came on the day of Pentecost, the disciples were speaking in tongues that they had not learned and people understood them in their own language. And so God gave them the ability to speak in a different language. Then there's this tongues of angels that seems to be babbling, but there has to be an interpreter for that. And that has been so misused. And, and the book of Corinthians is a rebuke to the church in Corinth because they misused that particular gift. They thought it was the greatest of all the gifts. And Paul said, no, it's the least of all the gifts. And all these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And he starts talking about the body just like in the book of Romans. 
But in verse 21 of that same chapter, it says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, these parts of the body that seem to be weaker and dispensable. Like, for instance, if you are in the body of Christ and you are an appendix, and you say, well, nobody sees what I do. You know, I, I just I go and work in the church. You can take out of the appendix, right? Or the gallbladder. And you can take out the gallbladder and you have such gall, you know, that type of thing. You get rid of the gallbladder and the liver takes that over. But wouldn't you really rather have your gallbladder functioning so the liver doesn't have to do double the amount? Well, what if you're the liver? Nobody ever sees me in what I do. Take out the liver. What happens to you? You die. You can't function without the liver. But nobody sees me. What about your big toe? If you're, I'm a big toe in the body of Christ. Well, if, you know, if you're the big toe, you provide stability. Just think if you didn't have your big toes or any of your toes. You'd hobble. You wouldn't run. And so if you think you have a gift or well, I'm not very worth, you know, I'm not worth very much. No, you are indispensable. I've often said I'm a pair of lips. That's all I am. I'm just, you know, going like that. And hey, what if you didn't have lips? All you'd see is the teeth all the time. You know, that, that would be it. And there would be no enunciation. Ever try talking without your lips? You know, just keep on talking like that. And that it would be so disjointed. It wouldn't work very well. And of course, I'm speaking metaphorically. Everybody has been given a particular gift and every gift needs to be in operation. If it is not in operation, you have somebody that is not operating correctly. Somebody who is handicapped and that handicaps the church. And so God gives us his gifts for the purposes of building up the church, going on in verse 28 of that same chapter. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then workers of miracles, then those having gifts of healings, those able to help others, and those with gifts of administration, those speaking in different kinds of tongues. And then he asks a rhetorical question. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? The answer is no. Not everybody has every gift. And so, especially the gift of tongues. They say, well, if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you will have the gift of tongues. No, that's not true. You may have it, but you may not. But eagerly desire the greater gifts. What would the greater gifts be? Well, if you started from the top of the list, first of all, apostles. I don't think apostles for today. But prophets, teachers, workers of miracles, gifts of healing. Those are the greater gifts. Prophecy, all of those things. And then the third category is growing of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So since each one of us have a particular gift, God says, fan it. Now, <clears throat> we're coming up to summer. Spring, actually. Uh, I think spring, when is it? Tuesday? When is it? Tomorrow. We have spring tomorrow, right? So when spring comes, it's time for the beach and the parks and bonfires and marshmallows, s'mores and all of that. And you go and you build a fire, right? You make a fire in a ring if you're allowed to burn anymore because of climate change. But if you have a fire inside of a ring, you try to get it going. Now, there's a couple of ways. You can give it an accelerant, gasoline, just, you know, you can do something like that. Or you put some paper in there and you fan it and you're blowing on that thing to get it going and the sparks flying and you're, oh, it's warm, you know, it's get in there. And then you, oh, you put a pellet on there and you get this fire going, you're right. 
And then you dance around it. Oh, oh, oh. Well, down if it's uh, frat boys, you know, they go down to the beach and they're dancing around it and they're making hoops and everything else. But the fire, you like the big fire. It's all good. And God says, fan your gift into flame. Like, for instance, if your gift is the gift of helps, and the gift of helps is somebody who likes to help. I can sweep. I can dust. I can clean windows. Well, fan that gift into flames. Well, how do you do that? Practice. You get in there and you hike. I am the best mopper that has ever mopped in this. I can mop up and down. I can clean anything. And so you use that gift, right? That's how you use it. What if you're a teacher? How do you fan the gift? Teach. You, you get out. Okay, no, I don't know about this. And you're always worried about saying the right thing, like a gift of a prophet. And we've gone through all these gifts when we went through Corinthians. The gift of a prophet speaks for God, right? And they're almost compelled. They they have it burning within them. And who can stop them from saying what God once said? But when they do that, what happens to them? They get criticized. They get belittled. They get killed. They get tortured. And so should they open their mouth? Practice. Open your mouth and use the gift. But that's one of the downsides of the gifts. And each one of these gifts has downsides, right? And and you want to make sure, and if you are interested in that, you can go back and listen to the book of Corinthians. And we talk about the gifts in depth there. But each one of us has one. God has given us one or several gifts. Now, there's a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament with these gifts. In Psalm chapter 68, verse 18, It says, when you ascended on high, you led captives in your train and you received gifts from men, even from the rebellious that you, O Lord God, might dwell there. And so in the Old Testament, people brought gifts to God. And the New Testament, where this Psalm, Psalm 68, verse 18 is quoted, there's a little change. It says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and he gave gifts to men. So in the Old Testament, you brought your gift to God. In the New Testament, God brings gifts to us. And he wants us to use those. Aholiab and uh, Bezalel, these guys were gifted. And God enabled them to teach others how to fan their gift. Timothy, uh, Paul told Timothy that he received a gift by the laying on of his hands. And he encouraged him to fan that gift into flame. That was probably pastor teacher. That was probably his gift. He probably wasn't given the gift of evangelism because he was told, do the work of an evangelist. That's kind of like if you don't have the gift of helps and you have the gift of teaching and you say, I don't have time for the gift of helps. Do the work of helps if you have the opportunity. It doesn't mean you're precluded from doing a particular gift, that everything is predicated on your gift and that's all you're going to do. Now, that's nonsense. If God calls the church to come together to do something, everybody is supposed to pitch in. That's God's design. That's not the pastor's design. That's what God is telling us. And so when it comes to these particular giftings, first of all, you have the Holy Spirit. And John, we're not going to get into the pictures of the tabernacle today. The rest of the chapters here in the book of Exodus deal with the tabernacle, and we've been through the tabernacle, but I digress. This idea of the gifts, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit, 
which is given to us when we get saved. And again, to get the gift of the Holy Spirit, God dwelling in us, we simply confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. Or in the book of Acts, chapter 16, verse 30, the Philippian jailer said, what must I do to be saved? Be saved from damnation and judgment. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And so that's how salvation works. And you just have to pray that. So he gives us the gift of a Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit, and then if we ask for it, he gives us the power of the Holy Spirit to be martyrs for him, to really exercise our gifts in an unselfish manner. And then those particular gifts that he gives us, everyone has one. You may even know what your gift is. How many people know what their gift is? Well, not enough. Uh, you, you need, and the way that you find out, practically speaking, is you just start doing something. And you see if it's a fit or not. And people will confirm it around you. If it's your gift, they go, man, you are so good at that. They go, stop it. No, really, you are good. And this person has a gift of encouragement. You are so good at this. And if you weren't good, they'd say, you are such a nice person. You know, something like that. They won't comment on your gift, but your gift is meant to be used. And once you use that gift, like Aholiab and Bezalel, once they started using that gift, they probably got really excited. I know this. I can do this. And they would teach others and go, look, this is how you do it. This is how you shoe a horse, right? They would show you how to shoe. They had a gift of doing all kinds of things, and they would get excited about using your gift. When you use your gift, there's nothing more that you want to do. And when you find that fulfillment in this life, you walk away with joy. You're filled with joy like this is so great. Not that you won't have trials. You're going to have trials. Once you exercise your gift, you're going to be criticized for using your gift, whatever it is, because that's just the way of the world and the enemy who works. Satan, you know, he's real. He sends out his minions and he means you harm. But when you use that gift, God's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And so we want to fan that gift into flame. My prayer for you is first that you have the indwelling Holy Spirit. And that he has empowered you and you've asked for this empowering. And that you understand what your gift is. And you use that gift, you fan it into flame and you bless others. You build everyone up until we reach unity in the faith. If we are all acting, we will be a strong church. You will be a strong believer. You will not be past past back and forth, to and fro by every wind of doctrine. You will be solid. You will be like the tree planted by the rivers of waters where its roots sink deep. And you will not be dismayed easily. That is my prayer for you, that you will be like that tree. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and how rich it is and how you have provided for us your Holy Spirit and these gifts. And you have set a direction for us in our lives. And we ask, Lord, that we would get in tune with that, that we do exactly as you request or you desire from us. And Father, may we not be discouraged when we run into opposition. May we continue on the course that you have set before us, which was set before the foundations of the earth. We understand this through your word. We thank you for your blessings. And we bless you back, Lord. We call you God, the only sovereign, In Jesus' name, and everyone said...